Okay, Jet Vance, Darrell Revis. Off the board. The New York Jets select Makai Beckton, Louisville. Pressure just makes it go a little more. I kind of like pressure a little bit. The New York Jets select. Welcome to episode one NFL draft preview. I'm Ethan Greenberg, joined by the Athletics Dane Brugler, and we're breaking down all things Jets draft. Of course, the Jets have a lot of draft capital, and we did this series last year as Brugler's draft board. This is a new and improved version. We're in podcast form. We're in video form on NewYorkJets.com. Not only is it great to do this again with you, Dane, but this particular Jets draft is extremely juicy. Yeah, there's no question. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, there's there's so many different directions they could go here. Um, and, you know, we know about uh, the draft picks. You know, now that we have the draft order, uh, two picks in the first round, two and 23. Round two, they're picking 34. Then two more picks in the in the third round. So we're looking at, Five picks total in the first 86. So that's just a great situation uh, to be in. And really, when you look at the strengths of this draft, I think it lines up really well with uh, several of the the Jets' needs, or at least perceived needs. You know, we all know quarterbacks a possibility, uh, but you know, there's several intriguing pass rushers in that late first, early second round area. Uh, cornerback is a really solid group. Offensive line is loaded both tackle, guard, uh, and on the interior. And then it's just another stacked group of wide receivers. So, you know, I think the Jets are in a position where they don't necessarily have to trade up if they don't want to. They can stay they can stay put, make their picks. Um, you know, obviously the exact needs are going to fluctuate between now and April as free agency plays out, trades possibly happen. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, but where we sit right now, I, I think this draft's uh, it, it's really got the potential to be a turning point for the organization because of the draft capital and the different directions they could go. Ultimately, it's up to Joe Douglas, Robert Sala to, you know, pull the right strings. But it's going to be fun to examine all the different scenarios uh, on, on the spot with you. The blueprint, it feels like, is definitely there to flip this roster. Kind of like what you said, the draft that I always think of in recent memory in terms of actually executing that is the 2000, I believe, 17 Saints draft class when you think of Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchek, both in the first round, then you talk about Marcus Williams, the safety, Alvin Kamara in the third round. Trey Hendrickson was one of the NFL leading sack getters this season, and he was in that draft as well. So right. to me, that class kind of feels like the, the example where you have the picks to do so, to execute and to flip a franchise. And right now the Jets have six picks in the top 98. But the fourth round pick, which is pick 98, probably will get squeezed out of the top 100 with compensatories. And I'm glad you mentioned the strengths of this class and how you think that they mirror up with perceived needs of the Jets. But what about its weaknesses? Like, where would you poke holes in it? I know one of the it feels like one of the glaring holes is that there's no top tier pass rusher, but there seems to be quantity and in the back half of the first into day two and three. Yeah, I think what this, you know, because we've been spoiled the last few years, Miles Garrett, the Bosa brothers, Chase Young, we've been spoiled by, you know, those top tier pass rushers and top five picks. Uh, this year, we don't have that guy. Uh, I'd be very surprised if we had a pass rusher drafted top 10, maybe even top 15, uh, which is very rare. But when you talk about the late ones and then second round, third round, even the fourth round, I think this edge rusher class is going to stretch. There's a lot of uh, depth, piece, depth pieces you can find, uh, guys that can be contributors, might not have the high ceilings, 
but guys that can come in and, you know, be quality uh, members on your depth chart. Um, you know, I think safety is a little weak when you talk about overall depth. Um, you know, I, we, another year where we're not guaranteed a first round safety. I like, I really like some of the options this year and we'll, we'll talk about a few of them here, but uh, overall the depth is, you know, hard to get excited about, you know, linebackers solid. I, I think defensive tackles probably the weakest of, of the group. You know, we might have a first rounder might have two, maybe three guys uh, go in the first 50 or 60 picks. But overall, defensive tackle is not a strength of this draft class. A lot of ground to cover, but I think it's important to back up a second and think about this scouting process as a whole. From a 30,000-foot view, you know what it's like when you are examining a typical year. This is not a typical year. It's an extremely atypical year. And I'm just curious how difficult the challenge is in your eyes when you're evaluating players who opted out or had their seasons canceled, and you have to project not only how they would have played this year, but then project that into the NFL. Yeah, there's no question. It's been a really challenging year um, from a scouting perspective, and that's going to continue the next few months. Uh, we have to remember that in most years, the hay's already in the barn at this point because the area scouts have laid out all the groundwork throughout the fall. Uh, you know, during the season, scouts, uh, you know, they're doing a lot of work on campus and they're writing their reports and they're getting a lot of work done. This year, uh, scouts were restricted. Uh, they didn't have the same type of access to be on campus, spend time at practice, get to know these guys, watch film with them. Um, instead, it's been a lot of Zoom calls, remote scouting. And, you know, the tape, that gives us an idea of what kind of player uh, each one of these guys are, but what about off the field? What kind of worker are they? Are, are, are they a culture fit? So, you know, these types of questions are going to be a lot tougher this year. This year, you have to factor in, we have the opt-outs, a group of really talented players who just haven't played football since 2019. So teams are going to have to examine each one of them individually. They each have their own different set of circumstances to try and figure them out. And then, you know, you mentioned the senior bowl, Ethan. It's such an important step every year. But even more so this year, 140 players had the chance to have some FaceTime with NFL teams. And in this draft process, FaceTime is going to be rare I mean, with no combine coming up. Uh, we don't know what the pro days are quite going to look like just yet. A lot of uh, medicals and the, and the interviews are going to be, you know, virtual and remote. Um, you know, but the Senior Bowl gave a, a chance for these prospects to have one last chance to be in pads and a helmet, go through, go through drills and be evaluated. So it was a, uh, it was a, it's a great audition for a lot of these players. And, you know, it's just, it's a really interesting year. Are we going to see teams maybe look to trade picks this year to stockpile picks next year, maybe, uh, because next year will be a lot more normal. Is that something that teams are going to, uh, especially a team like the Jets, you have a surplus of picks. Maybe they'll take that strategy into in draft weekend, or maybe they'll feel like they have a leg up based off of their relationships with, uh, you know, different coaches and uh, their contacts at college programs. It's really going to be an interesting year that it could be attacked in so many different ways, uh, both from a scouting perspective and then just, you know, the process. And uh, each team's going to have to, uh, you know, just be, just evolve and, and be flexible with how they attack this. And it'll be interesting for a team like the Jets who, you know, they have a, a new coaching staff and they're still trying to figure that out. And how are they going to attack this draft? It, it should be really interesting. All right. Well, now that we have that behind us, let's focus on the Reese's Senior Bowl. It happened. It happened a little bit differently. 
but teams were able to interview prospects in person and do that in a safe way. And there were people in the stands, much like yourself. There are people in the press box in Mobile. So let's talk about some of the winners of the Reese's Senior Bowl week and perhaps the biggest winner, it seems, and definitely a rising star in social media because of his crop top nature is Wisconsin Whitewater, which I didn't even know was a school, by the way, Quinn Miners. And this guy just seems to be a mauler. So what was his week like and what did you know about him before he showed up to Mobile? Well, I know all about Wisconsin Whitewater, a Mount Union alum. Um, I don't go out of my way to say nice things about Wisconsin Whitewater. <laughs> the, the 2007 Stag Bowl, uh, my senior year at Mount, uh, still a painful memory uh, as Whitewater beat Mount uh, for uh, the national title, the Division Three national title that year. But, you know, listen, it's a great program. Um, and uh, Quinn Miners, uh, you know, he was, he's been on the radar. Uh, he had seventh-round grades um, based off of his 2019 film. He didn't have a 2020 season. Um, and instead of going back or playing a spring season or whatever they're going to end up doing, he decided to prepare for the NFL and, you know, no one really knew what to expect because, uh, and we have to remember, Landon Dickerson, the, uh, you know, really talented uh, interior offensive lineman for Alabama, he, he's a, a first-round pick on tape. If he doesn't go down with that ACL injury, Quinn Miners does not get the bump up to the Senior Bowl. So this might, we not, might not even be talking about Quinn Miners right now if not for that injury. Um, and so, you know, based off his 2019 film, he's a little sloppy. He's, you know, he's just just moving these D3 guys, but it's always tough when you're facing that level of competition to really understand, okay, well, how good is he? Yeah, he's playing well against, you know, future accountants and dentists, but, you know, what can he do against the top-level NFL talent or future NFL talent? And I tell you what, he showed up at Senior Bowl, and he just dominated <laughs> from week one or from day one throughout the week. Each practice, he was outstanding, and he, he only played guard in college. They put him at guard and center in Mobile, and it looked like he'd been playing center his entire life. You see the balanced feet. He's really flexible. He's got that nasty demeanor to him. Um, and he, you could tell he really reworked his body. You know, not having that 2020 season gave him a chance to train and get his body right and understand different biomechanics of, of you know, how his body works. Uh, and, and it really showed. I mean, he was really, really impressive throughout the week. He even broke a, a bone in his hand. Uh, and it didn't stop him. He still practiced, still played in the game. Just a really, really impressive player. And to be honest with you, I don't remember, and I've been going to the Senior Bowl over 10 years now, I don't remember a player helping himself to this extent as Quinn Miners did. Because, again, he had sixth and seventh round grades uh, from around the league. Some even had PFA grades on him, priority free agent. Now we're talking about him as a possible top 100 pick uh, because he was that impressive. And it's just fascinating how three days – could mean so much compared to the last three years of film. So, you know, Quinn Miners, uh, no longer a, a, a late round projection. He's pushing for that day two status. Reminds me a lot of Ryan Jensen, uh, you know, who was a, a small school guy. Ravens drafted him late. He, they, he signed a big contract with, the, with Tampa Bay. He'll be in the uh, playing in the Super Bowl. So uh, Quinn Miners really took advantage of this opportunity at the Senior Bowl, and, and he's running with it. I saw a lot of people on Twitter also compare – not not necessarily Quinn Miners himself, but just the situation to Ali Marpet when he went to the Senior Bowl because it's a small school guy that played or practiced well, played well in the Senior Bowl, and then yep. that uses that as a launching pad like we've discussed. So Quinn Miners. I, I would say the difference with that is I think 
you know, watching watching uh, Alan Marpet at Hobart, he dominated at Hobart. Mm-hmm. And so I think coming into the Senior Bowl, like with Alan Marpet, we had a good idea. Okay, this is a mid-round pick. He's a really good player. And he, he played really well at the Senior Bowl, turned himself into, a, I believe, a second-round pick. Uh, with minors, he didn't dominate at the D3 level. And so I think that's, that was the difference with him. He Coming into the week, no one knew quite what to expect with him. And so that made his dominance even more impressive. Another guy down in Mobile. Creed Humphrey, who's a little more decorated than mm-hmm. Quinn Miners, Oklahoma center, but he played some guard, you told me, at mm-hmm. in Mobile. So it almost feels like, let, let me start with this, it almost feels like Creed Humphrey was almost forgotten about a little bit this year. Last year felt like he had a little more uh, steam to his name, and this year feels like he kind of went off off the radar, but still a winner in your eyes in terms of the Senior Bowl. Yeah, no doubt. I think he had mostly third round grades entering the week. Now I think he's more in that second round conversation. Um, you know, he's six, four and a half, 312 pounds, doesn't have the longest arms. And, you know, you can tell that that'll hurt him at times, uh, you know, going up against really long um, interior defensive linemen. But he's an accomplished, uh, former accomplished high school wrestler. And that shows his ability to use his hands, his grip strength. Uh, he's an outstanding technician. And so he wins at the point of attack because he just understands how to beat you. He understands leverage. He understands placement. He understands uh, the different techniques that he can use. And so with uh, his eyes, uh, his reaction quickness, uh, he was outstanding during the week uh, in Mobile and and definitely helped himself. He looks like a a plug-and-play starter uh, at the next level. Probably best at center, but he held his own at guard. and looks like he has a little bit of position flex if you want to move him to guard as well. And for a full list of the Senior Bowl winners, make sure to check out Dane's article on The Athletic. But in terms of Humphrey, you wrote that it's hard to see him move out of the second round. Right now, as we record this, the Jets have picked 34, the second pick in the second round, and then they have two picks in the third round. So as we stand here, would you say it would be more likely that if the Jets were to select him, he would be squeezed out of the second round, they'd take him to the top of the third, or that would have to be at pick 34? How about we split the difference and they either trade back at 34 or trade up from, because, uh, you know, it's tough, especially in a center class like this, where it's not necessarily the best group. Uh, you know, Josh Myers from Ohio State, he's he's going to be somewhere in that day two mix. Um, you know, Creed Humphrey and, you know, Quinn Miners, depending on if you view him as a center or a guard or, or both. Um, so if you need a center. Uh, you know, you're better off going and getting your guy instead of necessarily just, you know, waiting and, and hoping he falls to you. Now let's go to the defensive side of the ball. And every draft season is also synonymous with pronunciation season. And actually, this guy, Syracuse cornerback Ifatu Melanfonwu, is nice Obi Mel. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is Obi Melanfonwu's little brother. And Ifatu plays cornerback. Obi, I believe, played safety at UConn. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, Ifatu, he's 6'3", 213. What did you like about the way he performed in Mobile, and what does the tape say about him? He held his own, um, and what you want to see from it's, – it's really tough in these one-on-ones when, you know, receivers versus corners, you're on an island. Uh, it's really tough. Uh, more wide receivers uh, are going to win than corners. That's just – that's how it is. Um, and that's how it is on Sundays as well. It's a very tough position to, to play. But I thought Melifonwu held his own. He did a really nice job recovering. I uh, really like his drive quickness. Um, you know, and that matched what he showed on tape. Uh, he's not quite the athletic freak that his brother is. You know, Obi just blew up the combine. 
But Melifon was not is close, and he's also a better football player. I really like his acceleration. He's got that loose muscle twitch, so he can redirect re- redirect himself without kind of that hitch or any restraint. Uh, you know, he's still figuring things out from a mental perspective because he was a wide receiver, a running back. I mean, he was like an all offensive guy in uh, in high school uh, before he went to Syracuse and they moved him out to corner. So, you know, the route recognition still a work in progress. Um, you know, he's still getting a, a read on things, but uh, I, I really like his reactive quickness. I really like the the physical gifts that he has. He's long. He's speedy. He's, he's a fluid athlete. I think he's going to compete for starting reps very early in his uh, his NFL career. He could play press. He could play, you know, cover three. He could do these different things. And so I think he has a little bit of position flex as well. I, I think, you know, before the uh, senior bowl, I had him in a second round. And I think he just cemented himself uh, as a player that belongs somewhere in the top 60 picks. Wow. All right. You don't hear that for Syracuse very often. This is music to my ears. As an <laughs> alum, we got Mount Union. On the first episode, right. maybe a negative light there because of the bowl. <laughs> but and then we got Syracuse in a positive light. Okay, so let's move back to the offensive side of the ball. And this is a player that we discussed last season when we had Brugler's draft board is Oklahoma State wide receiver Tylen Wallace. And this is a guy who you I think, and you please correct me if I'm wrong, it felt like you really liked the player last year, and then he got hurt, and then he comes back to Oklahoma State. What do you think about the way he performed in Mobile? And what did he do for his stock? Yeah, I think he kind of reminded everyone that, hey, uh, I've all, I was a second rounder last year. I'm a second rounder this year. I've always been, you know, a, a future NFL starter, even if, you know, I had the ACL uh, injury and that kind of was a little bit of a setback. Uh, my production this year wasn't on par with what we've seen in the past. I'm still here and, you know, I'm still going to be a future NFL starter. 5'11", 193, you know, the size, if he just were to walk up to you, he's not going to really impress you. But throw out, throw out those measurables. He plays bigger. He plays stronger. Uh, it, for a guy that size, the catch radius is really, really impressive. And he plays through contact, which is so important for receivers. Uh, you know, there's going to be tight windows, and you have to be able to play through that contact, and he does consistently. Um, I, I think he's, an, he's ready right now. You know, line him up. He could fit in an NFL offense and would not look out of place. So with his route running skills and just his instinctive nature at the position, uh, I, I think he is NFL ready and a guy that is, you know, is, is going somewhere on day two. And it's it's another strong wide receiver class, like I mentioned earlier. And so it'll be interesting exactly where he stacks up. But he is a day one NFL starter at receiver. He can play inside, can play outside. Just a really good football player. Tylen Wallace, I believe you said earlier this year, he either tweeted it or he said it on somewhere I don't remember but I believe it was about Tylen Wallace that you think one of his biggest strengths is at the catch point so how would you describe why would you say that first of all and then what are his strengths in his game compared to some of the things that you think he needs to work on well I mean first of all he looks like more like a running back and so you know right away you're just like okay well what's he going to do downfield and at the catch point and that's where he just really impresses and you walk away thinking uh, that he's one of the best uh, at the catch point in this class. But he, he's so strong through contact at, at the catch point. The ball skills are outstanding. He stays focused. It uh, doesn't matter. He'll wear a defensive back uh, on his shoulders, and it doesn't matter. He'll still co- find a way to come down with the football. Uh, really physical, aggressive player. And so that mindset that he has, that my ball attitude, 
uh, it, it directly translate to production. And so that it's something that you really like about him. I mean, you wish he were bigger, even though he does play bigger, you wish he were physically bigger. Just it's going to be tougher uh, versus NFL corners, but love the attitude that he plays with. And you know, it's something that I, I think will definitely translate to the next level. Awesome. Let's wrap up the senior bowl talk. Let's finish on the defensive side of the ball. Also one of the biggest winners, risers, whatever term you want to use from Mobile is UCF safety, Richie Grant. And the Jets right now, they have Ashton Davis. He finished the year on IR, got some starting reps. Marcus May is a pending free agent, although Joe Douglas did say one of the priorities is to bring him back this offseason. So what did you like about Grant in Mobile? And, you know, I thought it was very interesting that you said, hold on, I'm pulling up my notes here, (laughs) that you said that you were a round off originally when you graded Grant, because originally he was a top 100 pick, but seeing him up close, yeah. you were round off. Just how often do you think, or how frequent do you think that will be an occurrence, not only talking about Grant, but talking about certain players because scouts didn't have the opportunities to see players live? Seeing players live uh, is a is a big deal because you can just see how they move, and you can see the tape, and you can see how they move, but seeing it live and seeing their reaction quickness watching uh kind of watching things play out through their eyes it it really helps and just to see them move in live action is is something that was impressive with Richie Grant or I mean call him uh you know Richie Rich with with his performance because he's he made some money at the senior bowl um I had a third round grade on him uh coming into the week he was in my top 100 uh on the athletic uh but now he's gonna be a top 50 pick with the way he performed uh just really impressive size uh range the play speed he plays so confident uh and even when he gives up completions he never quits ball searching and he will get the he he will find a way to uh, make that uh catch as difficult as possible uh for uh for the receiver and he's a former receiver himself so when the ball's in the air you see him do receiver-like things uh going up and attacking at the highest point uh, and he's not afraid to come downhill, uh, run the alleys, and, and and knock the ball carrier out. So uh, there's a lot to like about Richie Grant. I, I mentioned how this was not a great safety class. Um, I, I don't love the depth at this group, but I tell you what, he to me, he's uh, a top two safety in this class. And if you want a safety in this group, uh, I think you could do a lot worse than uh, than Richie Grant. I think he's, he belongs somewhere in that uh, that early second round mix. Awesome. All right, that's the Reese's Senior Bowl recap. Now let's pivot. It's going to take some fan mail. You know, this is this is new to the series here, and every week is assuming that there are good questions out there. We will gladly field them. So let's start off with let's let's keep it on the defensive side of the ball. Nick wants to know who are some pass coverage linebackers that you like, and you mentioned the edge class. Just who are some guys that you think could fit the Jets, not only in terms of scheme, but really in terms of where they also pick in the draft. Yeah, I think uh, when you talk about pass uh, covering uh, uh, linebackers, I think you have to start with Jabril Cox, uh, linebacker from LSU. Uh, he transferred from North Dakota State, and really he was a, he was basically a nickel player uh, at both places because of the way he would line up over the slot, line up versus tight ends. He would play more in reverse than he would going downhill because he has the feet and the speed to do it. He's a very uh, comfortable athlete in space. Uh, does not panic in the open field, and he can make plays on the football. So uh, also, you know, I hear scouts raving about his football character. He's the type of guy who could have opted out, could have went pro after his junior year at North Dakota State, 
Instead, he goes to LSU. And when asked, you know, why'd you transfer? Why didn't you opt out? He said, well, how's that going to make me a better football player? You know, he, he said, I wanted to be on the field. That's how I'm going to be a better football player. So this is a guy who's hungry and it shows because of the way he performs on the field. So, you know, Jabril Cox, he's somewhere in the mix to be, you know, one of the first six or seven linebackers drafted somewhere on day two, really good player. Um, and, you know, another one to keep an eye on is Baron Browning from Ohio state. Who's just, he's a former five-star guy, really good athlete. He's so versatile uh, that I think he can, uh, you know, put his hand on the ground. He could be a designated pass rusher. You could play him in space. He can cover tight ends. You can watch, throw on the Penn State tape and watch him cover Pat Fryermuth, uh, and it just shut him down. So he, there's a lot that Baron Browning can offer, and I think he has yet to play his best football uh, at edge rusher. You know, this is a really deep group, like we, we've talked about. And so if you're looking for a player who, uh, you know, can rush the pass or stop the run, you know, Rashad Weaver from Pitt is really interesting. He's not the most. Uh, he's not the most impressive athlete in terms of what he's going to test. But if you just want a smart football player who has length, who can win the point of attack and is not going to hurt you in the run game and can give you a little bit of juice getting after the quarterback, I think Rashad Weaver uh, would make a lot of sense. And then another one uh, who is also another winner from the Senior Bowl, Cam Sample from Tulane, who can win with power. He can win with quickness. Uh, that, that was another player that, uh, you know, a chance to see live at the Senior Bowl Really, really, uh, it kind of changed my mind a little bit. And I'm going to have to go back to the tape and uh, kind of figure him out because he looked like a, a day two pick all day with how he performed in Mobile. And so uh, go back to the tape and try to figure him out. The green wave. All right. Yeah. Dig it. All right. So Mark wants to know, Dane, who are some of your favorite late round sleepers? I mean, you can give us like two of them. Uh, well, you know, and I, it's hard to, you know, late round because I, I think they they might be better known than that and they might not end up going late round. And I think, you know, Frank Darby from Arizona State uh, is one of those guys. Uh, another uh, guy who showed out at the Senior Bowl uh, might not be in that late round conversation anymore. Uh, but he is just a really energetic athlete and he's got good speed. He's kind of overlooked because you think of Arizona State, Nikhil Harry two years ago and then Brandon Ayuk last year. Frank Darby's that next guy. And I know some around the league that like Frank Darby more than uh, they like Nikhil Harry coming out of uh, Arizona State. So Darby's not as well known. He's not going to be a, a first round pick like those other two Arizona State receivers were. But I, I, have, I feel pretty confident that he's a guy that's going to stick in the NFL and probably outplay his draft spot. Um, you know, Another one of my favorites is Deontay Smith from East Carolina. Um, a tackle who is light and he's long. And so those are two foundational traits right there. Uh, does a really nice job tying up defenders. He's got quick hands. He can answer power. Um, and another player who I think is on the upswing. So he might not be a late rounder anymore, but he's a player that uh, I think is going to stick in the NFL. Awesome. And then let's wrap up the mailbag segment. And if we don't answer your question, these questions do roll over if we select them and we'll be asking for questions every week, but figured we'd end on a little quarterback talk here. Obviously the jets have a long off season ahead of them for every position. One of the biggest questions is what's going to happen with Sam Darnold. Joe Douglas said that he was going to first get the head coach in place with Robert Sala. The head coach is now in place. So what's going to happen with Sam Darnold? There are a lot of projected theories out there, whether that's Sam Darnold remaining with the jets, whether that's the jets trading Sam Darnold and drafting someone else, you can go down the rabbit hole with the amount of theory. So with that being said, just in terms of the draft, assuming Trevor Lawrence is selected number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars, that leaves Zach Wilson and Justin Fields as QB two and three, however you want to put them. At least most people view it that way. So in the Jets' new system, 
with Mike LaFleur as offensive coordinator, the Shanahan system, how do you project both Zach Wilson and Justin Fields in that particular system? And this question comes from Pauly. Yeah, when I saw that, uh, you know, uh, Coach Sala was uh, hired as head coach, I was, okay, well, who's the offensive coordinator going to be? And then when I saw it was Coach LaFleur, you know, my mind immediately went to Zach Wilson as, wow, this would be a perfect fit. Uh, you know, with Zach Wilson, you've got a quick thinking decision maker. You've got a guy that's very efficient. His his strength's really on the move. His ability to use his feet, use his mobility to, uh, you know, scan the field and place the ball where he wants is really, really impressive. He's got a whip of an arm, very good zip on the move. And whether it's play action whether it's, uh, you know, designed uh, to move the pocket. The Kyle Shanahan offense uh, does a lot of that, where it's a lot of of movement. It's going to be a lot of where you're you're asking your quarterback to think very quickly, make quick decisions. And I think that's what Zach Wilson does. That's what he's at his best. Uh, He's very natural, very naturally accurate. And he can do that where uh, give him a little bit of uh, freedom and just let him deliver so I, I think Wilson probably a little bit better fit, but you know I, I certainly understand those that prefer Justin Fields. Um, you know he's a outstanding athlete. He's well built, uh, can move really well. He's a, a, another guy who's very naturally accurate. I just wish his eyes were a little quicker in terms of his ability to scan, get the ball up and gone. And that's where I think Zach Wilson has the edge. And you know I I, I took a lot of flack back in October when I wrote that uh, Zach Wilson he's very much right there in the mix for quarterback two. Uh, but you know, here we are getting closer to the draft and I think it's becoming more and more of a, uh, of a possibility that, you know, Zach Wilson could be that guy. There's, we still have to, you know, learn a little, a few more things about Wilson. I wish he were a little bit bigger in terms of his body type, but man, he is a fun, fun player, terrific zip, uh, his, his ability to, to play on the move and throw for different arm angles is a lot of fun. So I'm a big Zach Wilson fan. I think he'd be a, a great fit with, uh, what the jets are doing on offense. I do think it's important. It was not part of the question, but I do think that we should say that a lot of the strengths of Sam Darnold, when you're talking about throwing on the move, improvising off platform, that seems to go hand in hand with the Shanahan system. And that will be coordinated by Michael floor, like you said. So I think that's important to note as we continue on this draft journey. Like I said, in the beginning of the episode, we're going to cover everything, every position, probably not every player, but a lot of the players that Close. that could fit the jet. I, I mean, I think it would be unrealistic if we were to cover every single draft eligible player. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's craziness. That's the draft guys for, you know, so exactly. we, the beast will be covered. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and when is the expected drop release date? Maybe not the exact date, but we're talking late March for the beast. I, I always shoot for April one. Uh, that's always the goal. But you know, this week or this year might be a little tougher because it's going to be harder to find out all the information that you know I usually find out. And you know, with no combine and the pro days looking different, so you know, who knows? But you know, it's it's something that I'm working on every day to get that done. So I know uh, a lot of people have been asking about that, and hopefully sometime early April. And for those who don't know what the beast is, it is Dane's draft guide, which you can get on the Athletic, and it is. It's basically an encyclopedia of every single draft eligible prospect. I mean, that Dane's got Dane's got everything in there from if somebody's got, I think who was it last year? Amik Robertson had like a 10 year old or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and his favorite color was blue. That was in there. So yeah. Right. It exactly. covers, it covers so, everything. 
it's the encyclopedia. It's a must read when it comes out April 1. And we have you covered all things Jets draft and all things draft from now through the draft in late April. That was episode one of NFL Draft Preview with the Athletics. Dane Brugler. Dane, thanks a lot. See you next week and stay safe from all the snow out there.